Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. So I am here with a powerhouse of a woman today. It is the one and only Alison Edgar, may I say MBE. Now, Alison is a renowned speaker. She's an author, entrepreneur. Is there anything you don't do, Alison? I'm not great at cooking, Jeanette. I would avoid that. Don't put MasterChef at the end of that because there'll literally be that. You know, there'll be there'll be comments from my husband saying that's not true. <laughs> well, you can't be good at everything, can you, in this life? So I love I love the fact that you know you've already got your list of what you're not. <laughs> good stuff. So I'm so excited to do this because you know, Alison, you and I met on Clubhouse last year. Um, you know, so we were in the virtual world, and here we are. Even though we're not physically in a, in a, a room together, we are on screen together. So um, yeah, it's been a while getting this schedule, but it's great to have you on. So thank you for coming on, Brave Bold Brilliant. Oh, you're welcome. I've been really looking forward to it, Jeanette, because you know, like even in an audio situation, you hear somebody talk and and what they see, and it really resonates with uh, you know with you, and. I, I adore travel. So as part of my journey, I travelled for six years. So I've used to live in Cape Town. I used to live in Sydney. I live in the Channel Islands. Spent a, a bit of time in the States. And I know that your background is travel. So it, it's like one of those things when somebody talks about something that really makes your heart sing. Not only, again, great Northern accent, but just the things that you were talking about was like, oh, I love travel. And of course, when you were talking about it, Jeanette, travel was off the cards, wasn't it? And I was like, it's like craving, you know, it's like when somebody's talking about food and you're on a diet, you're talking about travel. I am desperate to travel. And now the world's back open again. It's great. So I've been really looking forward to today. Oh, fantastic. Well, Alison, you know, a lot of people will know you because you are really big on social media. And of course, you're out there in, you know, in the physical world as well with all the speaking that you're doing and everything else. And of course, your amazing book, Smash It, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, but listen, do you want to just give us a quick canter through your background, you know, where life started for you, how you've ended up, where you are today? And then we're just going to have a nice old chat from there, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, obviously, I've got this really uh, strong Scottish accent. So I'm from Clydebank, which some people will know is on the, the, the borders of Glasgow. It's not Glasgow. We're very proud that it's not in Glasgow. It's Clydebank. But it's the same place that the QE2, the Queen Mary, Singer Sewing Machines, Duncan Bannatyne, and of my favourite, Wet, Wet, Wet. And then me, I'm from Clydebank too. So um, I was brought up uh, literally a stone's throw away from Marty Pello. I put a post out on LinkedIn talking about, you know, somebody um, had sent me a message to say that I wasn't humble and that I... Um, you know, I had forgotten my background or whatever. And I never forget my background because I go up to Scotland as often as I possibly can. And um, so, yeah, I, I was brought up in a high rise flat, like a 14 storey high rise flat, uh, two bedrooms. It was me and my sister and my mum and my dad. But one of the things and it, it's interesting, Jeanette, you know, you get asked a lot of time about, you know, where you come from and, you know, where do you think your strengths come from and, and you know what? We never really had any money. I, I, I hate potatoes, right? And I think I hate potatoes because that's all we could really afford to eat. Potatoes and beans were like a stable diet. And um, But we had a lot of love. Like my mum and dad were great parents and they kind of taught me at a very early age that it was okay to, you know, not be academic. It was okay when things didn't go according to plan, that the only thing you had to do is just do your best. Like, in fact, I can hear the words ringing through. Just do your best, Hen. <laughs> and and I think that's the kind of stuff that sort of stood by me. And my sister was a straight A student. She like all A's and her O levels are higher. She went on to university to study pharmacy, so she's a pharmacist. 
but I could never get the I, I tried at academia and it wasn't working Jeanette it really like it wasn't as if I was a you know playing the class clown or I would go to the classes I just could not retain the information I really struggled to read and I can remember in English class like they would make you read a paragraph of a book and I mean like it's Shakespeare or Robert Burns I mean like even the most like you know top tip readers would struggle with that and I was like oh it was horrific and as the as class went round, I could feel like the bile rising. I was dead anxious and dead worried. And it turns out I've got dyslexia. Like we didn't know that at that time and it, it's now what it is. So, but I think that it was brilliant knowing something wasn't right at an early age because my mum and dad said, well, don't worry about those things. You concentrate on the things you're great at. And I'm great with people. I love people. So at 16, again, you'll remember this, you know, you're allowed to leave school, but you've got to have a job. So I went that day and I got a job as a hotel receptionist. And I thought all you did was hand out keys, Jeanette, you know, checking in, checking out. I thought, oh, I can do that. I'm great with people. But what it did teach me at a really early age, at 16, all the cash that came through the hotel, because it was a small family hotel, had to go through reception. So I learned to run the books on a manual tab system. So for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it was life before computers. You had to write in a letter with a pencil and oh, make sure everything balanced. And I think that gave me an interest in business. So things that you think, oh, that's just a menial job or, you know, what are you going to take from that? That was a dream job for me. And I think this is where our, our sides align because... I then took that career in hospitality into traveling for it. And I, I went, I was supposed to go for six months to Cape Town and I ended up, I was away for six years. It took me six years to come back, right? And I was in Cape Town. I went to the Channel Islands. I went to Australia. I worked at Ayers Rock. I worked in Sydney. I was. I spent some time in the States. So I think that really formulated me as a person. And because I travelled on my own, I think that's another key component. A lot of people are scared to travel and they're scared to travel on their own, whereas actually I loved it. It gave me that strength to find myself. Uh, then I came back and I worked in the first ever call centre that BT opened in Motherwell doing direct mail, direct response. And I completely smashed it. I won the prizes, I won the trips. But I think it was because of my background in hospitality and, you know, in the first book, I talk about when it's delivered correctly, sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. And I just think taking all my knowledge really brought that through. And then at 46, I decided I was going to set up my own business to teach people how to sell the way that I sell. And the rest, shall we say, from there is history. I've obviously um, expanded the team. I've started the, the speaking business. I'm speaking for some of the world's biggest companies. Adobe, MetLife, Amazon, oh, uh, Sky, oh, loads of companies. But Jeanette, at 46 years old, the only people that were in my phone book were my friends from school, pretty much, um, my family, and then the mums of my kids' parents. I had no leg up. I had no money. I had no nothing. And I, I've taken that business to getting an MBE from the Queen for the work that I do in entrepreneurship and business. So my little tagline is, you know what, if I can do it, anybody can. You know, I'm not special. I'm just normal. I just concentrate on the things I'm good at and I graft. And I, I think one of my big bugbears is social mobility. I really can't stand when people from working class backgrounds are not given the same opportunities as people from privileged backgrounds. But you can take those opportunities. You just have to work a wee bit harder because nobody gave you a silver spoon or a shed load of cash to do it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Alison, so much in here. I love the way you just kind of threw in at the end. And that's how I then got my MBE from the Queen. So we're going to talk about that uh, in more detail. But I just want to go back a little bit because you were talking about the dyslexia and kind of, you know, academia not really being for you and your sister being academic. So did that cause sort of anxiety or stress for you you know did you find you were comparing yourself to your sister and sort of thinking oh god you know hang on a minute she's doing all this and I'm struggling over here or or was it just that you were always kind of quite comfortable being different you know with 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 what with the skills you both have uh I'm not gonna lie Jeanette I didn't really compare myself to my sister because my sister is 
just so lovely. But I've got so many other skills that she feeds on from me. Like, and we get on, like, there's seven and a half between us, seven and a half years between us. And, like, there's things, like, she's quite quiet. We talk about the shepherd and the sheep, right? I am an amazing shepherd. Like, I can organise, like you, Jeanette, we can organise anything. Whereas my sister's quite happy being the sheep. So, you know, I know, like, and again, my parents always you know, said, don't compare yourself to your sister because there's things that you're great at that she's not great at. Like, she's really good at cooking. She's really good at knitting. She's really good at sewing. So I think I, I was told not to compare, but I have a chip on my shoulder, even to this day, that I don't have a degree. And that chip on my shoulder does not come from anybody else going, oh, you're thick, you're stupid, you don't have a degree. It's my inner voice that I have to, you know, have to argue with all the time going, well, you might not have a degree but you've got an MBE or you might not have a degree but actually you know you've built a business from nowhere and I think that's the thing that no matter who you are you're always fighting a demon somewhere in your head and that's sort of my demon but I've learned to ignore it and say well who cares and but it's an ongoing fight Jeanette because even I think two years ago just before the pandemic so I do my goal board and you know that really gives me the drive the focus and the direction and I had having a degree on there right so that was on there I thought well I could go through the open university I could be studying this I could do that and I'm thinking seven years I could be off the planet in seven years and and it was on there and again I think that's where reevaluating your goals all the time is so important and the purpose and the why and actually, nobody cares if I've got a degree or not. Why should I care when other people don't? I've got so many other skills that other people don't have. So I think that's the the you know the open and honest truth about that. Nobody really cared. It was only me. And but what I think one of the other things I'd say, you know, looking back at strengths and a lot of the time it's not just the strengths in yourself. It's what you can do for other people. And Jeanette, I've got two boys. So Kieran's twenty one. Connor's twenty. And Kieran, the oldest one, has just graduated with a first in business and management from Salford University. So I feel like I'm just like taking the glory for him. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, cre I created that one. I grew that one in my tummy. And now he's got a first. Oh, my God, I've got some, like, I've taken some credit for that one. So I think it's how you reframe everything. And I think that's one of the things I think I was taught at a very early age that I see a lot of people struggling with is reframing those negatives into a positive and I think it's themselves that hold themselves back because they haven't learned that as a skill yeah you know what you're so you're so right because you know in your case it was about the degree um in other cases it, it'll be something else for someone else we're all different aren't we but you're right we all very often we have those inner voices like little gremlin in our head that's saying you're not good enough you don't fit in you're going to get found out or whatever it might be um and you're right you know actually almost reconditioning your subconscious brain by positive self-talk rather than negative self-talk. But it, it's not easy and it often just kind of creeps up on you again, doesn't it? When you think you've dealt with it and then it pops up. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, people say to me, well, how do I reframe that? How do I do that? And I think you've got to want to know why you want to do it. Because if you, is that's the purpose that keeps you going, you know. And I, I think it's, it's even harder now with social media and social comparison and, you know, I, I still do it. Like, I think people think, you know, because I'm, I'm where I'm at, that these things don't happen to me now. I just have to work really hard to not let it affect me. So, and I'll give you another example. There is a speaker who um, literally gets all the gigs. So if I lose out to a gig, this, this person will get this gig. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's because he's a man. It's because of this. You know, I'm like making all these excuses as to why I'm not getting it. And I'm like, well... Actually, the fact is, this person started their speaking business 15 years before me. So they've got that network built, built up. They've got great content. They're amazing at what they do. That's just, you know, I can't be angry or annoyed or be jealous. I've just got to work harder to get bigger gigs, to be the best that I can do, to learn new skills, even in something that is my career now every single day right is am I going to hone my delivery on stage am I going to hone my content am I going to hone it and I think that's where so many people focus on that oh it's all right for them oh I can't do that and they let the voice win and that's one of the things that no my voice is never going to win I'm going to be fighting against that voice until the day that I'm not here because 
that's how you smash it and that's how you live your best life. If you let the voice win, you're never really going to be happy because you're always going to be focusing on all the wrong things. Mm, yeah, you're right. And actually <clears throat> owning it, you know, if you take when you take accountability for your own position in life or whatever you want to achieve, it's massively liberating, isn't it? Actually. And you go, actually, this isn't about anyone else. This is me. I I choose, I decide. And if something's not working, then own it and or you're not getting what you want, well then have another plan. This plan's not working. Re get another plan. That's not working. Get another plan. Take the action, you know. And I think you're you're absolutely spot on that, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's really about how you reframe it, how you constantly work on it and put the action in. And, and does it matter? It's only you judging that, saying you've lost out to the other, the other, you know, the other speaker. Um, and no one else is actually even bothered about it. <laughs> so, you know. I think that's what gives me the fire in my belly to keep on going. You know, when I know that I can do that, I can be that, you know, a lot of people would give up because they think they're losing. Whereas I'm like, right, that's me. Oh, that's the petrol in the tank. Let's get going. Let's go. Uh, so yeah but it's your choice and I think that people make choices every day sometimes people make the right choice sometimes the wrong choice but ultimately it's their choice to make mm, and actually to not make a decision is still a choice to not make a choice is a choice and, and the thing is that you know people sometimes think oh well I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll just put that to side that I'm not I'm not taking action well actually you've made it that's still a choice isn't it you know and uh, but um, what I want to talk about now, Alison, is the public speaking side of it. Because uh, public speaking, so many people just have a fear of it, don't they? they? They'd rather die than stand on stage in front of a bunch of people. So I think it'd be really nice to be able to talk about how you got into the public speaking side of it, you know, because obviously that's a core part of your business, isn't it, today? Um, but also some practical kind of tips and things that people can do if they're starting out. Because the reality is we are all presenting ourselves in some shape or form every day, whether it's a one-to-one -one conversation, whether it's on social media. It's not always about the big stage, but a lot of those principles that you'll be very, you know, very experienced at now, I think can probably help people on a day-to-day -day basis. So starting out, getting into the public speaking, what was that part of the journey like for you and why did you do it? So it's interesting that fear, because it's actually got a name, Jeanette, it's called glossophobia that is the fear of public speaking glossophobia uh and again a bit like starting a business it just kind of happened it wasn't really part of the plan and you know i come back to my sister and my brother-in-law so they met I, I met my brother-in-law i was 11 and a half when my sister started getting out with my brother-in-law and it was their silver wedding and we decided to run a surprise party for them so my, my dad my mum and dad had had strokes they hadn't had great health but we managed to get my mum there in a wee wheelchair and you know all that kind of stuff and it was a big surprise but I had to do the toast the speech kind of thing and I think this is one of the things you know a lot of people would say oh I can't do that because I'm scared of it I can't do that because I'm dyslexic and I can't read so what I had to do is I formed the shape in my head and I've got a key component. So I'll, I'll give you an example, because this might help anybody that struggles to shape a, a talk. So they met in Clydebank College, right? And Clydebank College got knocked down and they built a new college. And one of the times I was up in Scotland, I got a guy to dreep the wall. So if anybody doesn't know that, is they jump over the wall. So like dreep the wall and get me a brick, right, from this um, college. And what I did was I got the brick and I mounted it because that's where they first met. So I thought that was like a bit of brick was a great present for a silver wedding. So again, like I had to then think the brick and then I would go on. So they, they moved to South Africa, they moved to Joburg. So I had to work the timeline and have a visual and then, you know, go through the story of what they did and when they had their son. And so to me, I had the shape. And I think that's where a lot of people haven't planned or practiced what they're going to say and really timed it. The timing is everything. So I use a thing called PERF timer, P-E-R-F timer. And what happens is like when I start a talk, I know how long I've got. So, so many people don't know whether they're on time and they go, am I on time? And it's like, oh, it doesn't look great. Whereas you got your timer, you can turn it in from there. The other thing, which I think is really important and it sounds really bizarre, breathing, really practice. You know, the breathing in and out, if you've got your Fitbit, 
then really look at your heart rate because what happens if people are nervous and you've got to slow down because you don't make the impact. So that's where if you've brought your heart rate down before you go on a stage, you know, it's going to go up because you're, you know, again, it's your brain kicking in because you're in a, an unfamiliar situation and it's just trying to protect you. And when it does, then the endorphins are going and then you're getting more nervous and then that's when you speak faster. So really working on that pace and, and it's interesting, I did a TEDx that I don't really talk about, Jeanette. I know that a lot of people go, I'm a TEDx speaker, but mine is rubbish, right? It's really bad. And the reason it's really bad, several things. So this is a top tip. If anybody's ever offered to do a TEDx, I had two weeks notice and that wasn't long enough to shape the talk. And also I used slides and I used slides as a crutch. I now realise I don't need slides. But the delivery was just awful. It did make, it's on the Big Ted site. I have no idea why they picked it for the Big Ted site. But again, I can always find a positive. The title of the talk is called The Art of Getting What You Want. So that that that's the legacy because that's what we took into the book. But I, I think those are the top tips. And, you know, just the breathing. I know that sounds bizarre, but that's one of the biggest things. Because when you make your poignant part, you then get that chance to pause. If you haven't brought your heart rate down, you will not be able to make that massive impact with your words. Mm, yeah, brilliant. And I love that because, like you say, it applies whether you're doing a speech on, on a stage to thousands of people or maybe you're in a work environment where you've got to go and present, you know, to the board or just your team or whatever it might be. So I think you're absolutely spot on. That That's brilliant advice. I mean, I um, I actually had some training as, as a public speaker, but I've done loads of public speaking in my corporate life because as you get promoted and you get like more senior, you're just expected to have to do it. But I was never trained. Um, so actually, you know, at the grand old age of whatever, 48, I thought, no, I'm going to get some public speaking training, you know, and um, <clears throat> and it helped me have more structure. Yeah, the structure is really key, I think, because if you've got the shape, and then you know how long it takes to deliver that shape. That helps your confidence. And I think that's the thing that people lack confidence because they're kind of not, they've not prepared the content or prepared themselves enough. And that's why they get the glossophobia. Yeah, absolutely. Glossophobia, I've learned a new word. How exciting. Mm -hmm. do, you want another, do you want another nice new big word? Yes, please. <laughs> Metathesiophobia. Oh, talk me through that. That is the fear of change, Jeanette. Oh. So when I'm working with the big organisations that I'm working with, that's the topic. I'm a change. I talk about change and how you can make change happen. And because obviously I've made a lot of changes and I take that back through as, as one of the things that I teach people. And I talk about, you know, why people want to change, what holds them back from change. So, yeah, that's the big thing. Metathesiophobia. Metathesiophobia. Wow. I'm going to have to get that spelt. <laughs> Spell check. I, I, do you know, so I, did, I also did a talk um, for one of the big bureaus around imposter syndrome and how do you overcome imposter syndrome? And one of the things was, honestly, this is the thing with this daft dyslexia because you're like, oh, I need to learn this word. And it, the word is phenomenon, right? And you think like phenomenon, that's quite an easy word to learn. OMG, I had to say it about 120 times. And every time I was filming, I kept getting it wrong. So I just have to, I had to sing it. Something like a phenomenon, something like a phenomenon, just to learn the big words. So it's, uh, so if, if I can learn phenomenon, then anybody can do anything. Amazing, amazing. So let's talk about the dyslexia then, because obviously you're, you speak about that quite openly. Um, it's actually on your LinkedIn profile as well, and you are a published author. So doing the, we're going to talk about the books in more detail, but was that, becoming an author, was that to almost put to bed a gremlin around dyslexia, that if you can, you know, be an author and a writer, even with the dyslexia, that that kind of really trailblazes the way for other people, proves something to yourself as well, obviously, through the process, or was that not even a factor? I wish I'd thought about it for that. No, it wasn't really the factor. Um, but it sounds like a really good reason to write a book, to be fair. Uh, what had happened was a couple of things. So I, since I started the business, I think that was, you know, again, one of the things I think that I'm quite self-aware, things that I'm good at, things I'm really good at, things I'm not so great at, and things I'm really bad at. So what I had to do is like I, I sort of look at the, the things that go on in my life, not just my business, just in my life in general, and look at the things 
and, and focus on the things I'm great at. So writing was never one of those things. But what I did was, and again, you know this from a business perspective, Jeanette, you, you fill the gaps with your team, with the people that are good at the things you're not good at to allow you to be great at the things you're great at. So writing, um, I had a team at the time. We had Gemma and we had Nicola and we had Kaya and we had Natasha. So we had a team that was a five of us, I think, at one point in here. And they would come in and say, I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to write a blog. And I'm like, oh, crack on. Because I can't write, I'm dyslexic, poor me, get the pity party going, oh, poor me, poor me. And one day they said, um, I'm going to write a blog. And I said, crack on, because I can't write. And then that voice, that's that voice, do you know, that voice again. I went, and I literally stopped the office and I said, stop. And they're like, what's wrong, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm going to write a blog. And all the girls are like, yay, at last, we've been waiting for this moment. Because... I'm quite creative in my head. I just, there's like a block that blocks it from getting from here to the page. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to do this. So I wrote this blog, Jeanette, and it was called How Sales and Marketing is Like Golf. So you'll have heard me talk about the story of, I, I find it really easy to relate complicated matters into really easy things that everybody can understand. So I write this blog. I think it was before Grammarly, right? So I said to the, the girls, the girls like, will we check it out? No, 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 I think I've checked it myself okay probably there was grammar like literally anyway it went out and it went mad people loved it so that was that was kind of the first thing and then I kind of got into writing wee blogs like short short blogs 500 words maybe between 500 800 words but the reason for the book was from a business perspective what happened was when I started the business there used to be government funding that would help the smaller businesses and they would pay half, the government would pay half, and I would get a full rate. So it was a win-win for everybody. They would get the knowledge, I would get the revenue, the government were paying back to help businesses expand. And then they pulled the funding. And I was like, oh, well, not only is that not great for the business, but how can I help the little businesses, the startups, the micros that just, they don't have money to... And and I, when you run a team, there's a certain amount of revenue you have to bring in. You can't just whack your rates down, otherwise you can't pay people's salaries. So I said, I'm going to write a book. And the girl's like, yeah. I said, but I'm not really going to write it myself. And they went, oh. I said, we're going to get a ghostwriter. And they're like, oh, okay. So I pay the ghostwriter, Jeanette, literally. It's a friend of a friend. Pay this ghostwriter. And this book comes back. And we're reading some of the stuff. And the girls are like, that is shockingly bad. That, that, like, you're so distinct in your words. You're so distinct in the way you speak. That is not your book. That doesn't even sound like you. So, of course, I'm, I'm a few grand down the pan now. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And they're like, oh, me, I can't write. They're like, oh, you're going to write the book. So by this time, it was just Kaya and I. And Kaya said, I'll help you, I'll help you. And that's what we did. So she helped pull the stuff out. She helped, like, the editing. And Natasha was then living in Australia. So she did all the edits from Australia. And again, I think that's where, you know, we talk about leadership, you talk about teamwork, but when you really do build a great team, they're just with you forever. They never go away. So that was really the reason was to help it. And the book went, I mean, oh, I'm so proud of it, Jeanette, literally. Um, so it was a WH Smith top 10 business book. And so you would, I would get all these wee selfies from people at airports and train stations holding up my book. And again, that, that, seeing your book at the airport is like ah it's such an amazing feeling and then bizarrely the independent newspaper chose 10 female written business books and it was one of the top 10 business books written by a woman again probably talk about why that should not matter in this day and age but it does um and and I thought well I'm so glad that I went to that effort and did it because I'm helping so many people and and the other thing I got and this is about a year ago, two years ago, one of the apprenticeships, and again, apprenticeships are really important for me. Uh, one of the apprenticeship providers in Northern Ireland used my book as the curriculum. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. That's little old me without that degree, Jeanette. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're using my book as the curriculum for the apprenticeships in Northern Ireland. and. You know, if I can do it, anyone can. 
Honestly, Alison, you are, it's fabulous. It's so great because your energy is, is incredibly positive and, you know, you, you exude warmth, right? You absolutely do. And, and that's, I think that just probably comes from that lovely, you know, family background you had, even though, you know, you didn't have a lot of money, you had a lot of love and, and the core values that your parents instilled into, you know, just focus on what you're good at. Don't worry about the other stuff, you know, that will sort itself out over time, you know, but focus on what you're good at and, and lead with value, you know, help people be the best version you can yourself. But what I love about the, um, well, it's loads actually, but what you were saying about the book, how you got there was, you know, a little bit at a time. You didn't say, there's the mountain, how do I get to the top? You kind of just started doing the blog and, and then eventually, you know, so that saying, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. It's so true, isn't it? Because then you gain confidence a little bit more, one more step. And too often, I think, I mean, it's great to have big goals, and I'm all for that. But sometimes you just got to bloody start. Start with the little things. And before you know it, that momentum, you know, incremental gains, they all add up. And, I mean, look at you now, how, how far you've come and how many people you've helped. And who would have thought it from writing that one blog where you are now? Yeah, I think it's interesting because you've been to Cape Town with your work. And, like, actually, when you're talking about getting to the top of the mountain, I think the ghostwriter was, like, trying to take the cable car up to the top of Table Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, actually, when you climb all the steps and you go up to the top of the mountain yourself, okay, the view might be the same, but you know personally that how, how good the journey was in, like, climbing up and seeing the view as you go rather than just jumping up in the cable car. And I think that's a great analogy around the, the you know, the book writing and how how I could have done it and how I did it and how much more rewarding it was for me to have seen that journey through myself. Yeah, absolutely. So so just just really, so everyone knows which books there should be straight away ordering on Amazon today as they're listening to this. Talk about the titles and, and where, where what the main focus of the of the books are because they're obviously they're different they're slightly different, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because they're so conjoined. I mean, the second book was born of demand from the first one and actually in hindsight it feels like the prequel it feels like the second book should have come first but what the first book is called secrets of successful sales so that's why they use it in the curriculum for the sales apprenticeships in northern ireland because that's it's, it's got four pillars it's really easy to follow and it gets results so that was the first book but th Jeanette this was I'd ever again I've done it once I don't need to write another one if it's just to prove that and this is what I mean if it was just to prove that I'm dyslexic and that I could do it you would just quit you know go done that take the box but what was happening it was like oh it was really frustrating because people would send me messages and go I love the book and again that's not frustrating that's amazing you know if people take time out of their day to see how much has changed their life but they were saying I'm getting on so much better with my partner now. I understand my children a lot better now. I have actually bought a house and I saved a load of money. I sold my car and I made a lot of money. I've done... Why are you reading that book? It's not got any of those things in it. That's, that's bizarre. You would only read that first book if you were in sales or you were in business. Why are you reading this book? I so thought again, and then, then the lightning bolt strikes. Oh, no, I know that what I do helps so many people. I've got to write the next one. And that's where Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want is a personal development book. So it's not a sales book or a business book. It's really to help people. And, you know, we're talking about public speaking and, you know, I've got a real bugbear for a lot of people that run. Do you want to make money from public speaking? Come on my course. I'll teach you to sell from the stage. And I feel that there's other ways that people can learn personal development without having to invest a shed load of money. And, you know, I think if you've got a shed load of money, that's great, invest it to get better. But how do you help people that have not got any money? And that's where, you know, the book is a tenor or something like that. And I've got an app. The other thing was I invested my money to have a free app that accompanies Smash It, the art of getting what you want, so that people can do their goals and, you know, if you follow that book, you will it literally, when I wrote it, I felt like I discovered the meaning of life. Genuinely, genuinely, I feel I've discovered the meaning of life. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And sometimes your calling sort of emerges over time, doesn't it? Your purpose and your reason why, it does change. It does change as the various stages you're going through in your life. But sometimes it's a light bulb moment. Sometimes it's a 
and a, a sort of evolving thing um because you never know when you start something really where you're going to end up you know I never thought I'd be a podcaster and have the podcast it's in the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world I did it because I thought people needed some help during lockdown a bit of inspiration hey how cool I get to speak to really inspiring lovely people like yourself that's why I did it well then you start there and you can end up over here can't you without actually realizing and then sometimes you go now I get it I know why I'm here I know what I'm supposed to be doing you know, but then I think sometimes you don't know what the options are. I don't know what you, you know, things are a thing. Like, so, you know, I'd obviously done, um, the, the reason I sort of get into speaking was I'd been asked to, firstly, I did that speech for my sister's silver wedding. And then my friend was running a, a micro tycro, which was a entrepreneurial charity thing, you know, to sell things, to make money, to send it to Africa, to buy seeds so that people can grow their own carrots so they can sell it. You know, it's a, a circular economy type thing so I was the prize they were selling tickets for me so as the keynote speaker I didn't even know what a keynote speaker was so I had to learn how to become a keynote speaker right I was like oh I can do that and then I think the big break came really was I had one of my clients was in the Maserati 100 and the Maserati 100 is sponsored by the Sunday Times I was at an event at the Sunday Times I meet this company who are looking for a trainer so I'll go in and do the training work I have to get back on the train I'm on the train with one of the women from the course and about a week later I get a call from Discovery Channel to say they want me to be the keynote speaker and run their off-site but they don't want me to talk about sales and I'm thinking okay and Touchwood I had created content for WH Smith years ago and they didn't buy it so I thought oh I can dust that out that's around leadership and that's what I did and then from there, like the rest is history. So I think once you've got one big, big name under your belt as a speaker, then it really helps you to take you, you know, things on to the next level. But I think like like this weekend I was at Idea Fest and I was emceeing and oh I just feel I found the thing I was born to do. Like I can get on that stage. So I'm emceeing Stephen Bartlett. Michael Acton Smith, who um, invented or created the CAM app, Gareth Thomas, CBE, the rugby player, John Codwell from Phones Are You, um, and also the charities. He does a lot for charity, and Brad Barton. So I'm I'm there, emceeing in some really big business names, and I'm up there in front of hundreds of people, and I'm getting them all to go agi agi agi, agi And again, it's interesting you talk about my energy, like. You know, a lot of people have got short bursts of energy, but when you meet them in real life, they're not like that person that's on the stage. Like, so I know we've never met up until today, but on on a Clubhouse or any time that we've spoken, you can see it on my social media. This is me. What you see is what you get, and it's not an act. And I think when you're just living and and doing the thing you're born to do and living your best life, that that just automatically gives you energy, like levels of physical energy. Because you're not taking any of your other energy to focus on the things that aren't, you know, aren't important. And that really boosts you. And when you're boosted, actually, you're boosting everybody else around you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's it, isn't it? Find something you're going to really, truly love. And and you might need a few goes at it. It might take you, you know, failure, you know. Let's talk about failure because not everything goes well in life, does it? You know, and I bet you've had some not... In fact, actually... How can you think of some of the really low points? Because anyone listening to this will say, oh, Alice, it's all right for her. She's amazing. She's got this energy and it's all happening and she's a entrepreneur and la, 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 la. Isn't it all wonderful? But actually, no, there'll have been loads of stuff through your life that hasn't been good, hasn't gone well. But how you get back and just keep going, you know, persistence and, and learn from it is so important. And we, our attitude to failure quite often stinks to be honest in this country you know we don't embrace it we, we we make people feel rubbish when they fail we don't give them permission to fail that it's okay and I think the more we can talk about that and be open about the highs and the lows the more the more real it is you know so do you want to just touch on some of the some of the um the failure side of things or the things that haven't gone so well Alison yeah I mean I think there's two I think you've got the the personal side of things and that was mainly health and that's why I changed my like exercise routine because um, I was told that I was going to lose my eyesight. I had to have radiotherapy to save my eyesight because I had a thyroid condition. And again, I think people think, oh, a thyroid condition, that's just an excuse that people use to make, you know, when they're overweight, you know, oh, I've got a thyroid condition. But I, it ended up that I had to have the radiotherapy. And I think that was really tough. 
again, in a personal situation, you know, my two boys are 17 months apart and I really struggled with postnatal depression. I mean, I talk about it in the second book, but when I was narrating that, that was so hard, you know, I didn't want to be here. You know, so I think when people talk about suicidal thoughts and depression, like I've been there. So I think that I can, you know, I can relate to that. It wasn't always sweetness and roses. And then from a business perspective, you know, for the first two or three years, I'd have made more in the bloody till and Tesco than I did in the business. You know, I had to graft. I had to make sure, you know, taking on the wrong people. You know, you've heard me talk about my young team and I literally they stay with me forever. But that wasn't my first rodeo with taking people on. I took on somebody that was my old boss. And it was shockingly bad, like literally had to make a redundant. The contracts weren't tight enough. I didn't know enough about business, nearly lost the business. You know, it's not just sweetness and light. And now, even now, you know, I can't really talk about too much for, for legal reasons, but I went into business with somebody from Clubhouse and I did the due diligence and we created this business. And it was she was really tough to work for because she had really narcissistic tendencies and I've never met a narcissist I had never experienced this but also when I did we were about to sign a big contract for something that we'd sold you know we were joint directors and when I did the due diligence it turns out since we went into business and when we were about to sign the contract she had two CCJs for not being small businesses so I had to literally just exit the business because it's bad enough being in business with somebody that's got unethical tendencies. But when you've got an MBE, you know what? They can take it away from you, Jeanette, as much as they can give you it. So that that's just, that's fairly recently. So it's not sweetness and light. But again, a lot of people would pander on on that and procrastinate about making that decision from coming out. Or maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. Yes, I had to procrastinate, but I had to make a plan to get out. And I think now when I'm out, I don't hark back to the, oh, I wonder if I oh, should have sought it. You know, I'm not sure. I can't turn back time. It's not been a bundle of roses, but every single day I'm in charge of my own destiny, every single, you know, when moving forward. So, you know, I, and I think that's another people do, they keep harping on. And, and again, I think maybe this came from my parents back in the day because my mum's like, oh, you know what? We could have taken the pound tickets to go and live in Canada or Australia. I wish we'd gone and lived in Canada or Australia. Oh, yeah, I would have loved that. Mum! You didn't do it, you know. And then, you know, when you say that, because if you keep going, oh, I could have done that, could have, should have, would have, oh, would have, blah, blah, blah. You're just eating up the time. That Time is so precious. If COVID taught us one thing, we've got, an, you know, a limited amount of time on this planet. Don't spend your time being shared and looking back. You might have had something that didn't work in your health, your relationship, anything. We've all got that. Everybody's got a story, but you're in charge of writing the page Every single day for your new page and your new book, don't let anybody steal your pages. You know, get forward and write your own style. You know, live the life that you want. Hashtag best life or whatever we call that now on social media. But you're in charge of that destiny. Yeah, 100%. And you're right, you know, because the thing is, when you, and it comes back to the point we were saying earlier, accountability. When you realise you're accountable for your own life, your position, now you can't control everything. Of course you can't, but you can control how you feel about it, the actions you take, how you respond. You know, and I think uh, I interviewed um, a chap called Michael Finnegan, actually, and his episode was out last week. He's incredible. He's a coach, real high-performing coach. And he's from Chorley, so he's a good northern lad as well, right? So you will love Michael Finnegan. Um, but what he was saying, we were talking about failure as well, and, and what he was saying, don't stay there. Don't stay there too long. It shouldn't, you know, the short, yes, you're going to feel it, and, and process the emotions and make a plan but then move on. Do not stay there. And so many people stay in a negative state of mind. If something's happened, they're the victim and they carry it sometimes for years and years, maybe all their lives, you know, it's been done to them. And you're absolutely right. You know, none of us know how long we've got. So let's make it bloody count. And, you know, yeah, write your own journey, you know, create your life by design, as Pete Cohen will say, you know, it's, it's so important, isn't it, Alison? I just, I love it. I think, and thank you for sharing, you know, the, the, some of the challenges that you've had as well, because, you know, I, I think it's so important that we don't just sh talk about all the good stuff. We talk about the tough shit as well, because. No, I, I agree, Jeanette. And I think that's where I try. Like, like even if I'm speaking at an event, I think which is, is quite interesting because like I lose out sometimes to the Olympians or the mountain climbers or the rugby players or whatever. And 
and they might have an MBE, but they've got it for sport, like mine is for business, and you don't get that without taking some of the battle scars, like a rugby player would be like, oh, excuse me, I've had a broken nose, I've had da 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 You know, I think it's really important that, um, I think it's the relatability that I can bring to people, because I think they can relate to to me, you know, and, and what I've done in my life, and it, it wasn't, but, you know, I think somebody once said to me, so, what actually qualifies you to write this book? <laughs> Smash it, the art of getting what you want. I'm notorious for getting what I want, right, Jeanette? And in, in all facets, you know, because I think it's not just about business, but I've been married to Neil for 25 years. It's our silver wedding this year. You know, I have got a successful business. As I said before, I've got two, you know, amazing kids. And, you know, people go, oh, you're really lucky. Mm, no, that's not how I would describe it. Like, I... We graft, and I think if you graft and you're positive, then then you can make things happen, and it might not happen right away. You know, when I met Neil, he had like 10 grand a day or whatever it was. He's like, are you taking that day on with me? I went, nah, pay that off yourself, no. And, you know, so starting on an even keel, and we work together as a team, I think, you know, it really helps for me having Neil. He doesn't, well, I'll give you a wee story about Neil, because when I started the business, right, the kids were wee, my mum and dad were like, they'd had a stroke, all this kind of stuff. And I used to go networking, Jeanette, right? And I really went networking because it was at night time and there was wine and there was people like that weren't five years old or whatever, right? And I'd go networking. Anyway, one of the days I said to Neil, you don't support me. I'm doing all this stuff and you don't support me. He said, Alison, you're just playing at all this. The day that you decide to take this seriously and really put 100% into it, I've got your back. And I did. And since that day, Jeanette, he's always got my back. And again, I don't mean, he's never really supportive that he goes, oh my God, you're amazing. He never like, like, he, he, like he's always got a criticism of something, but in a way to help me be better. Does that make sense? So con constructive criticism. And like, so again, I've been on the telly, you know, I've done GMB, I've done breakfast, I've, you know, I've spoken at some of the biggest stages and I've done all this kind of stuff. And I said to him, I've got an MBE and he went, I'm impressed by that one. So that was the first thing that I've ever done. Like not any of the books, nothing. But I'm impressed by that one. I was like, great. <laughs> yeah, but having a supportive partner is so, is, is like, it's incredible. I mean, I'm the same with Chris. He's my number one fan. He's also my number one critic as well. Yeah, I think that's that's not a bad thing, isn't it? Because it also stops my head getting too big. So like people say, oh, you're so grounded. I knew literally will not let my head get big because because like even when all this is going on like oh you got the mph that's good he said i don't, I don't think you've emptied the dishwasher or loaded the washing machine you know i was like okay back to normal and it, it sounds like i'm like i'm the housewife i'm not we've just got defined roles so he cuts the grass he does that but he's been away for a couple of weeks Jeanette, and do you know what i can work the lawnmower for the first time ever and i've got stripes in my grass so i'm like oh i can do anything <laughs> you can take on the world absolutely absolutely so alison let's talk about the mbe then because that is pretty monumental and like you say to get an mbe for business entrepreneurship and everything you've done you know in particular starting your business you know at 46 you know age is no barrier is it at all but a lot of people think oh i'm too old Equally, sometimes people think I'm too young, I'm too inexperienced, I'm too this, I'm too that. But no, actually, you know, no, at any, any age, you can live your best life at any age. And um, so the MBE is is almost that public recognition, really, of what you've done in private, isn't it, really? Um, so talk about that a little bit. So um, I can, I, I'll tell you how I found out about it. And then I think the rest of the story will come from there, if that makes sense. So during the lockdown when you were allowed to be in the garden with another person they were allowed to use the loo but they had to just cut through to get backwards and forwards that I mean it sounds surreal when we talk about that now doesn't it so Kaya who worked for me she started working with me when she was 21 20 uh, 20 21 um she had left after we did the first book and she went to travel she went traveling and again I love to open the cage door and let them go traveling because as we spoke about before to me travel was one of the things that really shaped me as a person so when my team go I want to go traveling whoa when are you going push there's the passport um but during lockdown as you know a lot of people came back because we didn't know what was happening so she came back no job nothing 
And I said, do, do you want to write another book? Will we go for Smash It? And she went, but everybody's on furlough. I went, my team are not on furlough. No, nope. if you stop marketing, just close your business doors. No, nope. we're keeping going. And she goes, but everybody's getting made redundant. I went, no, I'm hiring. No, nope. come, come on back to work for me. So we did all that again to get the book out during lockdown. And we were sitting in the garden, right? And again, I've got quite a short attention span. And again, I think because of the dyslexia, you know, so she's talking away and she was talking about, like in the book, she does quite a lot of the theory-based stuff, which I, I struggle with. So we bring in the theory, we go through it and I translate it into something like Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. In the book, I translate into Tom Hanks, the Castaway movie. This is my skill set. She does that bit, I do that bit. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit bored, right? And I'm like, oh, get my email. And this one's in from the cabinet office. And I'm thinking, well, it's not that unusual because the cabinet office, I do work with the cabinet office, so that's fine. I opened the attachment and it was like literally this MBE. And I just, I started crying. Literally, I was blubbering like a child. And and Kaya went, what's wrong? Has somebody passed away? And I went, no. I said, are you the press officer? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, because I can only show this to the press officer. I'm not allowed to tell anybody else. And she went, oh, I think I'm the press officer. So she looked and she, I said, I, I think I've got an MBE. She goes, oh, I knew that two weeks ago because I nominated you when I was working for you. And uh, the man phoned to check your details a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, he never even told me. She went, no, I didn't want to ruin the surprise. Hello. <laughs> Mom. Hi, Mom. I'm recording. This is Alison. Mom, say hello to Mom. Say hello to Hi, Mom. How are you? Is this interview working? I am. I'm interviewing. I'm recording a podcast. How are you? Get your mum in. Don't edit this bit. Get ready for a dinner now. She can't hear me because I've got these on. What time do you want your dinner? It's half eleven. Okay. Twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock. No. Oh, bye, mum. Bye, mum. Oh, do you know, I'm so envious. I wish I had my mum. How lovely, how cute. Oh, ask your mum if I can adopt her. Don't edit that bit out. Keep that bit in. What did she like? Dougie Tory, what time do you want your dinner? What time do you want your dinner? Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, bless her. So, oh, my word. So, we were talking about your end. Doreen comes in thinking she's like the bloody queen, right? There's Doreen. Oh, I love it. Please don't edit that bit out. Oh, I wish I had my mum back, literally. No. So so we get the we get the message. So and Kaya said, like, I had nominated you like when I still work for you. So she, that that girl wrote that nomination when she was about 20, 21, 22. And what she did was I think she timelined all the things that I had done. So I had been working with the government on growth vouchers, which was the fund. You know, I'd obviously taken time out to write the book and I had been working with some young entrepreneurs, the Apprentice winners, Dragon's Den winners. So it was all really about, the, you know, the stuff that I'd done to support and help entrepreneurs and small businesses. And that's, and I was dumbfounded, Jeanette, like literally, I, you know, because what I think when you, when you just, I, I, you know, you focus yourself on just doing your best every day, you, you sometimes don't reflect back on all the great things that you've done. And if you look at, you know, remember I said at the start or at some point, like I could have earned more on the Tills and Tesco for that couple of years, but actually I had been invested in the longer term future. So I'm, all that stuff I did, I did on a voluntary basis. And at one point Neil said, can I just check, are you running a charity or are you running a business? And I'm like, oh, I just really want to help. And as long as I've got enough revenue coming through, pays the team, I can take a wee bit out myself. Uh, it's about for me making that bigger impact and looking now at what I can charge when I speak at events. Actually, that was invested time that was well worth it. And I wouldn't I wouldn't turn back time in any way. I don't I've got no regrets for anything that I've ever done. And I just feel really honoured. And when I went to the palace, it was at Windsor Castle and it was Prince William. So Prince William, you you go through this wee and it sounds a bit bizarre, but if you've ever been to Disney and you go through the holding rooms at Disney, you know, like next lad, move through, next lad, move through. It's a wee bit like that, right? Because they're only holding so many in the thing. And it's just that they didn't have a, a video of Nemo in every room. You know, you just had to regroup. And then you go in and you're told you need to curtsy. You know, you, you know. I was like, don't make eye contact. No, you're allowed to make eye contact. But I was like, oh. And, you know, I, I don't think we were allowed to. You don't shake hands because of COVID, but you curtsy and you come over. Anyway. He said to me, 
I, I said, I've actually met you before um, at an event. I was at De a Deborah Meaden's Tough Ball because Deborah Meaden was one of the investments in one of my young entrepreneurs. And, and he said, I don't remember people. He said, but I do remember events and I do remember that event. I said, oh, it was really great. And, you know, we raised a lot of money for Tusk and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, I, I just had a thought. He said, um, I've got an entrepreneurial charity that I support. He said, would you be interested in, in helping with that? And I said, yes, sir, I would love to do that. How do we make that magic happen? And he said, I'll get my people to contact your people. So they did. We've been in contact. We've not done anything with it yet. But again, that's what I mean. You don't get paid to help Prince William and his charity. But that give back just has got that impact when you're working with big names to be able to help more people. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Mean, it's just incredible. Massive congratulations. Honestly, you should rightly feel really incredibly proud of that. I mean, it's it's one of many things. But you know what I love about all of all this conversation is that none of us really know the impact that we're having. And that impact could be just you smile at someone passing in the street that's having a bad day and you just make them feel slightly better. Or it could be that you walk into a room, you never know who's going to be there. You talk to a random stranger and they could turn out to be someone that maybe can introduce you to someone else or you can help them. And I think leading with service and, and just being a good person, putting good out in the world, you know, and you, it's not about giving to receive, but the law of reciprocity has a way of working. And, and I really believe that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you talking about walking into a room because one of my sort of things is why would you blend in when you could stand out? So for many years when I was growing the business, I only ever wore fuchsia pink. So you can make that impact by your actions, but actually it also helps you if you elevate yourself by standing out a little bit compared to everybody else. And I think, again, coming back to strength, and it, it's interesting because I was never afraid to... Tra again never afraid to travel and I don't mean travel like miles but I I'll give you an example there was an event with Lord Young uh, and Emma Jones in London and I saw a tweet at 5 30 in the morning by 6 30 I knew I wanted to be on that event and I'm on a train by half past six a lot of people would have gone should I would I will I and at that time there wasn't much money in the bank account for the train fare the train fare from Wiltshire to London is expensive and I was like, no, I'm going to go. And again, taking those punts. And it's interesting, I've been invited invited to an event. I've been invited to attend and sponsor an event in Beverly Hills. And actually, um, I know that there's a huge speaker market in the States. It's a bit like music, isn't it? If you crack the States, you've cracked it. But if you don't actually go over to the States, your chances of cracking the States are going to be slim to none. And yesterday, I'm like, well, I should have, would I? And again... You know, these things cost money and you've got to weigh it up in your, you know, from your business and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, what's the worst? I go spend a bit of cash and get nothing back. Well, I love Ellie and it looked really good in my TikTok and my Instagram stories. So that's worth it. So, yeah, I think it's it's doing things that other people wouldn't do. So it's not just, you know, it's working that room, speaking to people in that room, being remembered in that room. And when I spoke to Prince William's team, the girl said, you know, he does so many of these um, investitures and he, he honestly doesn't remember most people. He said, but he remembered too. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Absolutely stand out. You know, who wants mediocre? Who wants grey? Who wants vanilla? Absolutely. A life full of colour. That's what we all want, isn't it? Well, that's what I want anyway. So uh, we're, in good, we're in good company. So, Alison, I just want to, before I get to my final questions, because we could chat all day, we might have to do a follow-up follow-up interview um you know you're talking about standing out and standing out as a as a woman in business now you know as I say I I don't I, I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion whether it's LGBTQ or social mobility or gender culture whatever you know because I just think we all have gifts right and we want to create a world where everyone can shine actually regardless so but we are still talking about gender, even though I feel like we shouldn't be. You know, I was often the only woman in the bloody boardroom. And thankfully, we have moved forward massively. But we are still here talking about it. But in particular with what you do, where you are out there, you're proud, you're bold, you're brave, you know, brilliant, all of the, all of the aspects of this podcast. But being a woman, how do you do that in a way that's congruent with you and your values and do you ever get nervous? You know, what's it like being a woman at the front of your business, achieving everything you're doing? Or is it an irrelevant point? Do you know what I think is interesting? Again, 
you know, we came from a sort of similar start, Jeanette, you know, although mine was hospitality and yours was travel. To me, in the hospitality industry, <laughs> they welcome all sorts, right? So we were all welcomed. It didn't matter your sexuality, your colour, your, your they you're welcomed. So I think that I didn't really see much discrimination and much gender balance because it really didn't matter in that industry. Then I went into sales and that it really doesn't matter if you can sell, nobody cares what's between your legs. Literally, they just, uh, and they don't care about, they just don't care. It's about getting those results. So I was blessed to come from two industries that I wasn't really discriminated against. I think the only thing that I, I again, story for another podcast, I, did, I didn't get a promotion because I was too fat, Jeanette. Now there's a story, and that came from a woman. So, you know, again, that is a story for another day, but... If you look at that, I it never really stopped me. I never felt discriminated against. So now I feel that I hold my own in any room. So like obviously if I'm, I'm emceeing at the event uh, last week, I'm a good MC. It doesn't matter, you know, anything, even hidden disabilities. People don't know that I'm dyslexic. They just know that I'm up there giving it whoop, whoop. And I remember like, you know, the, the key components because I've created the shape of what I'm going to say. So I haven't found it. Where I do find it is in the books side of thing, like a really high percentage, specifically the first book. I think I was in the 1% of people that are female in that space writing a book. And that's where people go, oh, this book's amazing. That book's amazing. And I'm like, well, have you read my book? And they're like, oh, no, I'm reading this man's book. And like they don't, females and males sell differently but as a female we don't get that same exposure so I've definitely found a difference there I do think and it's interesting when it comes to people being booked to speak now that's another thing that I do see that a lot of the time I'm losing out to a male speaker because the majority of the audience is male and they feel that a man would relate better to the audience and I do think that comes from that bigger picture around diversity and inclusion so I'm a sort of I'm a victim of what's happening in the bigger side of things. But as you know, I haven't got a victim mentality. I just keep going and I work harder and I, I convince them that they need a female speaker because they have a diversity and inclusion box to tick and I can help them tick it. Again, I use that in my favour, whereas people would use it against them. I'm like, oh, I'm sure you've got a you know, diversity and inclusion policy and the CSR policy for people with social mobility. Me! yeah yeah absolutely no you're spot on and i used to always say to myself and i always think actually even today i think well you know if i walk into a room thinking it's going to be a problem then there probably will be if i walk into a room and i'm just do the best i can i'm as as true to my values i I try and be a good person and deliver what i say i'm going to do and help other people well then hopefully that will be good enough and actually, it'll it'll open the doors that need to open. Just but you know, if if you kind of go in with a bit of a chip on your shoulder, then you, that's probably what you're going to find. Yeah, and I think you you know you said truthfully. I think that's the thing. Like I shoot from the hip. I always tell the truth, whether it's what people want to hear or not want to hear. I can't like I'm I'm not programmed to lie, so I do tell the truth from from my side and what I see. You know, my version of the truth might be somebody else's not version of the truth, but it's my version of the truth, and that's that's what I see. So. I think that's where I can stand my own in a room because I'm I'm vocal and uh you know I'm I'm very good at voicing my opinion. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Well, we all know that. See, we love Alison Edgar with a strong voice and the bright pink and smashing it. Brilliant. I absolutely love it. I love everything you're doing, everything you stand for. I think you're an incredible woman. You really are a powerhouse. Um so yeah, big love. Big love. How do you do it, that? <laughs> Uh, fantastic so last few questions Alison before we finish if I may um so can you think of the best piece of advice you've been given over all these illustrious years that you've been in business and in life I I know it sounds bizarre it probably doesn't meet the diversity and inclusion box that we just spoke about but I definitely work better with young people I young people energize me they're really good at the skills that I'm not great at they're faster they make me feel young, which really, really helps my energy. And I didn't realise it was only when I'd gone through that tough time with the woman that was my old boss that I had met this guy who was at a, he was a sponsor in the table and I was invited on. 
and he's like you should you should just be surrounding yourself with people that energize you and that was the best advice and I think I've never really looked back on that I just keep surrounding myself with people that give me that energy oh amazing yeah good good uh good advice definitely and can you think of any sort of advice that didn't go so well Alison that you either took and regretted or you ignored and were very relieved you had ignored well do you know what it's not really on a business perspective but I'm looking back to my childhood and you know what somebody told me never have uh, bleach highlights and a perm at the same time and I didn't listen to that, Jeanette. And literally, I think my hair still struggles to get back in condition. They'll never have bleach highlights in a perm. Not that anybody would do that now. So that that literally, obviously, some people were listening to that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> a, never do that. Fantastic, fantastic. I love it. Oh, my God. Taking back to the 80s heyday of, I think I destroyed the ozone layer over Stretford in Manchester single-handedly with all my back combing and my perms and everything. I, w- I wish they told me never to wear a tutu, a berry and, and uh, fluorescent leg warmers, but hey, oh, that's another piece of advice. But it was all trend then. I wouldn't do it now. Still got the fluorescent top right off. <laughs> there you go, you see. So there was some good in it. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Alison, obviously, we've talked so much about kind of, you know, pushing out your comfort zone, dealing with all the knockbacks and really living your best life. And and you're doing that in absolute bucket loads. And the podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, words which clearly describe you. But what does that mean to you when you think of that? I do think that, A, not comparing yourself to other people, because your version of Brave, Bold, Brilliant is completely different to somebody else's and you know what some days Jeanette my brave bold brilliant is actually just getting out of my pajamas I'm like oh I got in my pajamas today I'm brilliant and other days it could be running running five miles other days it could be you know just doing my best I think that's all it means and 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 doing your best for yourself and not focusing on what other people are doing for their brave, bold and brilliant, because it's all about you and not about them. Fabulous. Oh, I love that. What a brilliant answer, Alison. So that honestly, it's been such a joy speaking to you. Where can people track you down, Alison, if they want to uh, connect with you or book you or be inspired? Where can I'm laughing because I think I own the first five pages of Alice and Edgar on Google. So I'm not that hard. You know, why would you blend in when you can stand out, Jeanette? So, uh, yeah, I'm very easy to find. The books are on Amazon. I've actually got an Amazon, uh, a, a Google knowledge panel. Ooh. I know. I don't even know how that happened. I didn't apply for that. It just happened. So if you Google me, then it brings up the books on the right hand side. They're available on Amazon and all like good retailers. Um, and then the app is on the app store and on the other one that's not Apple, I can't remember, Android store. And uh, yeah, the, the websites are there. I've got Smash It Training and I've got alisonedgar.com. So I'm not, I am not hard to find on social media. Loud and proud and out there. That's fantastic, Alison. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy, honestly. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeanette. You are very welcome. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.